Several years ago, I was in a life group in my church uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. I attend the Donaldson Fellowship. Some of you may be familiar with that church. The life group leader asked a question, what is hindering you in your walk with God? And people talked about different things, about work and then about sports and life issues. Someone in passing said apathy. And the leader went on and people kept talking and talked about different things. After the class, I knew this person very well, so I went up to him and said, I know, I heard what you said in class, but I'd like for you to elaborate just a little bit. I know what apathy is. I understand that word, but I'd like to know what you mean in this particular setting. And this is what he said, and I want you to to grasp this also this morning. He said, uh, tell me something that you will see hear or experience in the service today that you've never seen, heard, or experienced before. And that's what leads us many times to apathy. Same old, same old. You come to church, you hear the same thing, do the same things, call on a certain individual to pray, you know exactly what they're going to pray. They have the opening prayer, the offertory prayer, the closing prayer, you know. We know, we we become predictable. And then the worship itself becomes, we become apathetic. And my prayer for us today is that that particular feeling will be broken. And it's only done truly by the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. Now, I want to be very positive today, but I'm going to tell you some truths that I really feel like that we need to know. It was in 1970 at, at Welch College, Real Baptist Bible College as it was then. In the fall of that year, that school year, God's Spirit fell on that campus like I've never seen it before. Uh, I was there, and I will just tell you guys, uh, young people, I was a college fresh sophomore at that time, finishing my sophomore year, beginning my junior year. And I had answered the call to missions when I was 15 at a summer camp and was pretty set on that. And then as life goes sometimes, my junior, senior year in high school, I really wandered away from the Lord. And although I knew that God had called me to missions, that's not where I was going. And the only reason I went to the Free Will Baptist Bible College is because my dad told me to. There was no other reason for, for me to go at that time, but I went anyway. Um, but that year, God's Spirit failed, and that was a repentance that, that changed that whole campus, I'm telling you, for the, for the next several years. And you can go, some of you know Steve Lytle, Jerry Gibbs, Dennis Teague. Uh, maybe you don't know them, but these are some of our missionaries and pastors and leaders. And I'm telling you, they will take you back to that point in their life. And I'll tell you what happened for me. I was a hypocrite. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I heard a statement one time that we ought to live in such a way that pe- what people think you are is what you really are. And if you're not that, then you're a hypocrite. It's just that really, really that simple. And what I'm praying today, and I mean, my prayer 
I, I told our office uh, how excited I was about speaking to you. I said, I hope they get as much out of this as I did because I'm telling you, just preparing for this really just stirred some things in my mind. And number one is that we, we come here and we say we're people of God and we, you know, and many of you, be honest with yourself. And I hope God's checking you right now and giving you a good soul check. And some of you, many of you perhaps are sitting here today and you're apathetic. You, you really, it's not that you're mad, not that you don't, you know, care at all, but that's pretty much what the apathy is, you don't care. You come, you do, you put in your time, you leave, and you're a-okay. And I hope that this is the day that God's Spirit falls on this church in such a way that that right there, whatever that is, that apathy, if you're having it, you're suffering from it, that that's broken. Now, I don't want your spirit to get stuck there. But I do want that at the beginning to understand that I believe that God has something for us today. You'll be listening to me, but let me say this in all sincerity. If the only voice you hear today is mine, you will leave no better off than you were or when you came. But if you hear God's voice speaking to you, then your life will be changed. And I believe that's how the world gets changed. Now, our theme today is love reigns in our mission. Love reigns in our mission. When we think about that, particularly that's an easy phrase for us to understand, love reigns in our mission, but I think there are a couple of, of assumptions that we're making in this. Number one, we're assuming that we understand what these words mean. Now, when we talk about love, we all have our definition of love. The, the dictionary definition is an intense feeling of deep affection. We all have that. We all understand that. We use that, but it has more than that in meaning. I believe that within the scriptures, if we study love within the scriptures, that it tells us that love is attached to action. I mean, we will all agree, if you tell me you love me, and there is, you, you know, you treat me poorly, or you don't ever pay any attention, and you don't give anything, you know, any attention at all, or any thought about it, then I'm really going to doubt your love. And you know, We'll play a couple of mind games today, but I'm just saying if you can, just think of a minute. If you had to put your real, your actions for God, your expressions of your love for God on a measuring stick, where would it be? What would it be like? You know, would it even move the needle at all? So we say we have love, but I think in the scriptures what we have is love is an enacted emotion. There is going to be something that's going to happen. 1 John chapter 4, we're not read that, but if you go to 1 John chapter 4, you see it very, very clearly there. In the opening scripture, it says, you know, he says, if you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. And it's just, just one's going to follow the other. So if you love someone, you're going to show it, you're going to demonstrate that love for them. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us over and over again, just very clearly how love is going to manifest itself in us. Interestingly enough, when the scriptures tell us, talk about love, it never tells us, really gives a little cultural details on exactly how that's going to be manifested. I believe in different cultures and among different groups that it's manifested in different ways. But we have to understand, but we do know that our relationship with God is going to make a difference if we truly love him. Second thing, word, reigns. We said love reigns in our mission. What does reign mean? And this is not to get us in dictionary or anything, but to possess authority, to possess sovereign authority, ultimate authority. Studies have shown us today, research, most Christians, 
especially young Christians, but I'm going to say most Christians, really do not consider God's Word and what He has to say to us in our day-to-day lives. We just go about it. What, it. what makes you feel good? I like it. I'll get it. I don't like it. I don't have to do it. You can't make me do anything. That's sort of the, the idea. But if we understand that and we put it in the context of our mission and we are God's children and we, to, we are to obey Him, then what He says is the ultimate authority, not the culture, not your parents, not yourself, but God's Word. That is the ultimate authority that we have. What He says goes. So we may get a little uncomfortable at that point and say, well, I don't really like that, you know. And perhaps I think a bigger problem is we don't even know what it is. We don't even know what he says many times. We'll talk about that in a moment. But then he says, so we have God's love for us. That is a love that demands, it's a feeling, yes, it's an emotion, but it demands action. And his love drives him. He reigns over us. He has supreme authority, sovereign authority over us. And then what is our mission? So we say love God's love reigns, directs us in our mission. What does that mean? Our mission, I think we know what our, our mission is, is to make disciples. Now, there are five passages in the scripture that talk about uh, this particular task that we have, our mission. Anyone know those particular passages besides the pastor? Because if I ask him, if he doesn't know, he's going to be embarrassed. So I'm sure he knows. You know, we're going to assume that he knows. Anyone, anyone know Matthew? What's the passage in Matthew? Give me the chapter and verse if you know it. Matthew, I want you to write these down, 28, 19, and 20. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Mark, anyone? Book of Mark, say it out loud. 16, 15, you can't answer either. You better know it also. Mark 16, 15. Luke, anyone? Luke 24, 47, 48. John 20, 21. As the Father sent me, even so send I you. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And we're all pretty familiar with that one. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. That's our mission. That's what he wants us to do. Now, we talk about making disciples, and that's a summary statement. Our mission is about making disciples. I really love that you have the D groups, the discipling groups here. I'm telling you, just as just in the for what it's worth category, I believe that is one of the fundamental problems with our churches around the world, not just in the United States, but lack of discipleship. People come in, our exit doors is bigger or sometimes bigger than our entry door because people come, they make a profession of faith, their lives are not transformed, they don't grow in the Lord, they leave. I was in Brazil at a conference and we had a pastor there from Uruguay, Pastor Julio, who was speaking, and he was talking about shoes. Yeah, that's an interesting subject at a conference, isn't it? He said, I am possessed with shoes, shiny shoes. I want my shoes to be polished. Let me check them out here, see if we got any. Yeah, yeah, okay. Some of you need to get possessed a little bit here. Just, you know. But we had, he said, I love my shoes. I want them to be polished. He said, but then I began to think one day about Jesus and his disciples. And he said, I think of Jesus and his disciples, and everywhere they went, they were either barefooted or had sandals on. Affectionately called Judean joggers. I'm just making that up. You can call them whatever you want. But they had on sandals. And he said, but here's the point. Think about this. Walking in, there were not paved roads, there were not sidewalks, and walking in that dust. And he said his disciples walked so closely to him that the dust off of his feet 
were on their feet. I just love that word picture of discipleship. Walking so close to God, to Christ that the dust off of his feet is on your feet. And that's what he said. So he said, I want you to go make disciples, those who are Christ followers, those who love me, and they are willing to follow me, and they're willing to obey me. Now, if we're going to put this all together, now we say, first of all, then the, the beginning point of it is we love God. And it says, the scriptures tell us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. And the scriptures goes on and tells us so many things. It talks about God's love and how he loved us even when we were sinners that he gave himself for us. Unconditional love. Love that doesn't, it doesn't hold on to a circumstance. There's no reason for him not to love you. That's pretty powerful. I had a friend, I have a friend. He was talking about some situation he was facing in his family. One of his sons came to him and revealed to him that he was now attracted to the same sex. His father was talking to me about it. We were actually playing golf, believe it or not, and we had some pretty serious uh, talks on the golf course, and he was telling me this. And he said, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to handle this. And this is what I said, unconditional love. You have to love him unconditionally. And the father said something that I'll never forget. He said, I don't think I can love that. I don't, I don't think I can do that. And I said, if you cannot love unconditionally, you cannot make a change. There will never be a change there. And the love that God has for us, the love that Christ has for us is unconditional love. I have a friend who called me just this week confessing a sin, a sin, horrible thing that he had done. And I talked to him about this unconditional love. He said, I don't think God can ever forgive me. I said, what a stupid thing to say. Obviously, you do not know God. If you think there's anything you can do so bad that God cannot forgive you, then you really do not understand the love of God. We love him because he first loved us and he manifests that love for us in such a way that it changes our lives and radically changes us. Now, we talk about love enacted and emotion that's enacted. If we love God, if we truly love him, then there's going to be some actions that are going to follow. It, it's just not, it's not in a vacuum. It's not just something, okay, I love God, mm, go on, life is good. And, you know, we fall in love. It changes our lives. It changes the way we behave. I mean, I say I love my wife. I better love her. I've been with her 50 years. This is our 50th year, uh, 50th anniversary this year. But I will tell you, and I tell her this, I mean, I, I love my wife. I love her more, and I can honestly say that, than ever before. But I said, she never ceases to surprise me nor amaze me. And that's the wonderful thing I think about being in love and walking with someone that you really love. You're constantly discovering. You're constantly better understanding him. And that's the way I feel about our, my relationship with God, constantly knowing more about him. Now, if we love God, we are going to want to know him. Now, if I ask you, we could stop here and not going to, but we could stop and say, what do you know about God? And I'm sure you could give me a lot of stuff, a lot of head knowledge. Now, we worked in, in Ivory Coast, West Africa. We worked among people called the Lobi people. The Lobi people have a name for a supreme God, creator God, and that name is Tangba. Tangba. 
You can ask any Lobi. I'm sure you're going to meet one tomorrow, right? Right down the street here. You're going to walk up to a Lobi and say, hey, do you believe in God? Now, I will tell you, if you were to meet one and you ask him, do you believe in God? A Lobi is going to respond, yes, I believe in God. Now, here's a big mistake we make, all of us. Quite often, we'll talk to someone. We'll say, do you believe in God? They say, yeah, oh, he's a Christian. And you walk on off. Now, we need to do a little check here, a little soul check here, because that response is not always a complete response. Do you believe in God? And a Lobi would say, yes, I believe in God. Well, then you want to tell me about this God. Well, he's sort of mad at us. He's gone far, far away. You know, he doesn't care about us. Well, that doesn't sound like the God that, of the Bible, the God that we're talking about today, that's love. He said, yeah, and you, and you ask, well, why is God far away? What happened? Now, they believe that, the Lobis believe that there's one God, he's a creator God, that he walked on the earth with man and talked with man and women. And this is their story. They said, God's mad at us. Why is God mad at you? He said, one day a woman was out working. She was pounding away, big wooden bowl, pounding some yams with a big mortar stick like that. And she's going along, beautiful sound. I mean, I love to hear it when they're pounding in their, you know, in their mortars like that. And so she's pounding away. And all of us have had this experience where you're really intense on something and someone walks up and says, hey, and it just scares you, you know, right? You had that experience, yeah? Um, I love doing that with my wife. She's real singularly focused. I go, hey, she, you know, she about you know, jumps out of her skin. So if you can imagine that, this woman's there, she's pounding away. God walks up behind and speaks to her. And when he does, it scares her. She turns around, bop, she bops him over the head with that stick. And God gets mad and goes far, far away. Now, that's their understanding of God. I think we all agree that's not the God that we're talking about here in the Bible. But you say you know him, and I'd say, do you know more about him than that? Sure, you know more about him than that. But do you know about his love? Do you know about him? Do you know about the fall of man? Do you know about the sacrifices? Do you know about uh, the church? Do you know about the Holy Spirit? Do you know about these things that are so important? Do you know he's going to come back? Do you know that there's going to be a judgment? These are things that we know. And if we know, if we want, we, we should want to know God's word. We should want to know him better. Many times I would go and I'd talk to the lowly people. And again, we need to be careful about having formulas for leading people to Christ. Because let me tell you, there, there are so many things that can go on that way. But I would go to them and many, many times I had this conversation. Ask a lobby. You believe in God? What are they going to say? Come on, see if you're awake. What's a lobby going to say? You believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. Okay. Now, and this was my question. Do you know everything there is to know about God? What would be your response? No, I don't know everything there is to know about God. And I said, well, and asked them, I said, do you believe God can speak to man? They said, well, if he wants to, he can do what he wants to. Do you believe man can understand what God says? Well, if God wants him to, he can understand. That's a good answer. And then we would say, I would ask him, do you believe that man could write down if he understood? Well, if he knows how to write, now you'd say that's a little bit irrelevant in our situation here in America, but in that particular setting, probably 85, 90% of the people or non-literate. So, you know, if a man knows how to write, he could write down what God said. I would take that occasion and say, I believe God spoke to man. I believe man understood what he said, and I believe man wrote it down, and he put it in this book called the Bible. This is God's Word. Now, and I would ask him, I said, do you want to know about uh, America? Are you going to go ask another lobby? Are you going to ask me? Oh, I'm going to ask you. If I want to know about Lobi, do I ask another American or do I ask, we ask Lobi? You want to know about God? Who are you going to ask, me or God? God. And I said, that's where you get it, right there in his word. Now, 
Let's follow the logic here. If we love him, we're going to know about him. And it is not going to pop up in your imagination. It's going to take an effort. And it's going to take an effort to study and to know his word. So if we love him, if he's, we're driven by his love, if his love reigns enough, we will have a desire to know his word. Now, don't raise your hand. Because I'm not wanting to embarrass you. But I am wanting to put you on a uh, soul search here, you know, I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but if you get uncomfortable, you need to be uncomfortable. You understand me? Did you read your Bible today? Don't, don't move your heads. I'm watching. Remember, I'm an expert in reading, but I'm just kidding. I just want to make you afraid. Now, but did you read your Bible this morning? Did you read your Bible yesterday, the day before? Have you read it at all during this past week? According to a study, and, uh, you know, during COVID, we, most of us spent some time in lockdown, right? And you would think it would just stand to reason that during this time that Christians would have a lot of extra time on their hands. So what are they going to do with that extra time? They're going to read. They're going to read the Bible. Do you realize, according to, to research, that prior to, now the number is disgusting when you read even prior to COVID, 14.9% of Christians read the Bible once a day. That's just 14% of all of us. If you look at it, that'd be a little chunk of you over here. And the rest of us are not reading our scriptures uh, about the God that we say that we love. Now, again, you would think it would go up. It went down. According to the most recent research that was given, 8.5% of believers read the Bible once a day. Now, you tell me that makes sense. Where's, where's the apathy there? Is this a controlling thing? Or is it our love for God that pushes us to want to know about him? And if you want to know about him, this is where you go, to go to his word. And this is where you get enriched. How many of you know Carlisle Hanna? Does that name ring a bell for anyone? Raise your hand if it does. Brother Carlisle Hanna is Free Will Baptist missionary. Went to a mission to India, served in India, went, uh, and started in 1951. He just retired this, at the end of last month. 70 years in India as a missionary. That's a record, guys. Go for it, okay? 70 years in India as a missionary. I visited him one time. We were talking about God's Word and his love for the Word. He loves the Word. And he said, Clint, to my knowledge, as far as I can remember, since I have been able to read, I have read the Bible through every year understanding that he learned to read at about six years of age and he was 90 years old at that time I said so you have read the Bible through 84 times he said yeah I would ask you have you read 84 chapters <laughs> eight times even but we say we love God's word and we don't read it and we don't care about it and it doesn't influence our lives and I will tell you if you do not know it it will not influence your life it will not change you. It will not impact you. Uh, uh, I think the Bible says something about it. Some of you wind up like my grandmother. I love my grandmother, don't get me wrong. But my grandmother has some interesting Bible verses. She said, Bible tells you powder and paint makes you what you ain't. Think about that one. Powder and paint, don't put on makeup, ladies. That's what it's saying. Powder and paint make you what you ain't. You can get saved between the stirrup and the ground. 
I'm just going to say my granny didn't know the scripture very well. I said, granny, I want you to show it to me. It's in there. I said, well, you find it and let me know. And I haven't read it through 84 times, but I've yet to find powder and paint makes one change. So it's okay to wear a little makeup. But I'm telling you, we say we love the word. We say we love God, and yet it is not manifested in our love for his word. He has spoken to us. I love my wife, I'll tell you. And one of the things I, I mean, some of the greatest moments for us at the end of the day, we spend literally probably an hour every day, sometimes longer, just talking about the day. Why? Because I love her. She loves me. She wants to know what's going on in my life. And she will ask me, what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of the day? Is there something I can do for you? And that is a question we ought to be asking ourselves. What can I do for you? So if we love God, we're going to love him. And, we're going to, and our love for him is going to put us to want to desire to know his word. The next thing is if we love God, we will worship him. We will worship him. Several years ago, I was in Texas, and I had a pastor ask me a very interesting question. He said, do you mind if I ask you a question? I said, it's fine. He said, uh, don't you love questions like this? He said, how do you feel about contemporary Christian music? Now, let me tell you, I'm not a musician. So, Tanner, you're not in any problem, any threat, anytime I'm around. Uh, so I'm not an expert in it, but I quite often will answer a question with a question. So I ask him, I say, well, what do you, what do you mean? You, you tell me what contemporary Christian music is, and I'll tell you what I think. Now, we find quite often when someone says something like that, they have a whole lot to say. Now, I love the guy, and let me tell you, genuine, passionate, God, uh, godly man. But he went on honestly for about 30 minutes, and these are the things he talked about. This is not to make anyone uneasy, but this is to tell you the line of the subject. He said, you know, our churches have changed radically, and we just don't, we don't, we're not, you know, we're not sticking to tradition. We don't understand what God wants us to do. And, you know, he went on, he said, we've taken the pulpits out. And we put a table in so we can put our iPads on them. You know, that was number one. Number two, pastors don't wear suits and ties anymore. <laughs> Hello, you know. We have the music, we have the drummer, where's the drummers? You always love when people talk about the drummers. You know, he had the drums. And he went, you know, he just went down a list. And he wasn't being ugly. Please don't, I'm not making, I'm telling you, he was genuine about his concerns. He said, I just feel like, you know, and we don't use the King James Version and we don't sing out of the hymn book. We have them posted up on the side where everyone can read them. And you don't have to have anything in your hands. Came to, after a while, he talked and You've, you've had this experience, someone's telling you something, and then all of a sudden they take that cleansing breath, you know, go, they said all they got to say. Pretty well got it out. Now, it's a great African proverb at this point. I have to share with you, you need to learn this one. This is a good one. You can't spit and swallow at the same time. I can see these guys up here trying. No, you can't do it. I'm just telling you, physiologically, it's impossible to spit and swallow at the same time. It doesn't go out, come in, same time, doesn't happen. Now, what it means in this particular case is that when someone has something to say, they're upset, they want to say it, and no matter, you, you may as well wait till they get through. And once they're finished, then maybe you'll be able to say something. So when he got through speaking, and get, had, you know, I said, well, 
Let me give you a, an answer. Let me give you a thought here. It's going to sound like a smart aleck answer, but it's not meant to be. It's meant to continue our conversation. He said, okay. I said, I think I've met under too many mango trees for most of what you just said to really matter at all. He goes, well, what does that mean? I said, well, in Africa, we would go out into the village and we'd win people to Christ and they'd come and they'd sit under mango tree and it you know, usually gave a lot of shade. It was easy. I said, we'd sit on roots. We'd sit on uh, little small chairs and rocks or whatever was available. The people, the musical instruments we had, a tin can with bicycle spokes wrapped around it. You know, chink, 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 make a little sound. A gourd that was cut in half, dried out and had shells around it made like a little tambourine kind of sound, a drum hollowed out log with the goat skin over it. That was it. And when the people sang and worshiped, they clapped their hands and they'd sway and, you know, just really got excited. Might have danced sometime, I don't know, I'm just saying. Could have, but. But I said, now, keep, put yourself in that setting now with everything that we've said. And then I went to Central Asia in the country of Kazakhstan, and Kazakhstan, it's very somber. And the people sit to sing and stand to pray. And then when you pray, stand to pray, you keep your hands in front of you. You don't put them in your pocket. You don't put them in back. You never cross your legs in service. You don't chew gum. You don't say amen. You don't clap when someone does. I'm telling you, one of the best presentations of the hallelujah course I've ever heard in my life was in Kazakhstan. And I mean, those people sang. Their voices were beautiful. The music was fantastic. And when they got through, everybody, you know, sort of behind my back there. But you understand what I'm saying? So I said, now, and then I come to America, and I go in a church, and some guys up there, I call it milking the cow, you know, <laughs> leading singing. And I said, then you go to another church and they have a praise group. You go to another, they have a praise band. You go to, maybe once in a while you find one with an orchestra. I said, but my question is this, brother. Who was really worshiping God? I said, now here, this, this is oversimplification. Now, I don't oversimplify because I don't think you can understand. I oversimplify because I like, someone says, put the cookies on the bottom shelf. You know, let's put it where we're, it's easy for all of us to understand. This is the way I think, simple. I said, I three, three things that I believe that from the scriptures that I can prove pretty much that have to do with worship. Number one, focus this on God. If you agree, make sure you're still awake. Nod your head just a little bit. Do something. You agree? Nod those heads. I will embarrass you. Okay, go. Okay. Number one, it work, focus on God. Number two, it's done in spirit and in truth. Nod. Yep. Spirit and in truth. Number three, it needs to be done in an orderly fashion. Now, and this is what I said to my brother there. I said, here's the thing, here's where we are. That you find this and you think about this worship. And we have different concepts of it. Now, I'm standing here before you. You're looking at me. Can you tell me really if I am focused on God? You don't know. Do you know if I am worshiping him in spirit and truth? You don't know. The only thing I can say is orderly. Right now, you're orderly. The music was orderly. Everything was good. But that is a culturally dictated behavior. You go to different cultures, are you clapping, playing the little tin can, or you, you know, what are you doing? And I said, the point is, 
the things that we should be emphasizing, focusing on God and worshiping Him in spirit and truth, get caught up in this whole thing about, well, it's not my kind of music, or it's not the King James Version, or it's not the pulpit, and those kind of things. And I'm not saying it's a horrible thing to have a pulpit or to wear a suit and tie. I'm not against that at all. But I'm saying that is not the element, that is not the essentials of worship. And I ask you today, and this is a little soul-searching time, are you focused on Him? Are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? And that's a rhetorical question, not expecting an answer. But I think it's important that we understand that's why we're here. So if we love Him, then we want to know Him. And if we know him, the way to know him is to know his word, to study his word. If you know him and you understand him and through his word, you are going to want, you're going to desire to worship him. And in that, if you understand him, then you're going to know that he's given us a mission. And that mission is motivated, controlled by, reigned. If we said love reigns in our mission. And our mission is to go make disciples. And we will, if we love him, and if we're really driven by love, we will obey him. I was in a, I read a, a survey. This was several years ago. 3,000 professing Christians. Now listen to me, because I'm sure you're going to fit in one of these categories. 3,000 professing believers and 95% of them had never led one soul to Christ. Not one. And of the 5% that did, about 85% of them did it in their first two or three years after conversion. Yeah, I'm going to ask you. I don't want you to raise your hand. But I do want to ask you. And reflect on that. Have you ever led someone to the Lord? Have you ever shared your faith? You say you love him and you're not on mission? Everyone's not a missionary, but everyone is a witness. Every born-again believer should be a witness. I asked this question. It was so embarrassing, and I'm closing with this, but let me tell you, I asked this question to a church of 400 people, and I, to this day, I cannot get over the results of that question. I said, how many of you, and I'm asking you this question today, how many of you can say, sometime in my life, I have stood before someone that I knew was not a believer, and I felt God's Spirit leading me to share with them? Now, you don't have to answer. I'm just, this is a reflective question to you. Now, so we were doing the every head you know, every eye closed, every head bowed invitation at that point. And I said, how many of you can say that you have had that moment, you're standing before someone, you know they're not a believer, and God's Spirit's leading you to share your faith with them? And about 25% of the people raised their hand. And I'm telling you right now, I was knocked off them. I could, I could hardly catch my breath. I thought, they didn't understand the question. I need to rephrase the question. I'm in a church that is known as a good church. And I said, let me ask this question again. You understand what I'm saying? You're standing there and there's someone who's a rank pagan. You know, maybe they're an alcoholic or whatever you might say. You know, and then you say, you know, I know that this person is living in sin and they need to be saved. And has there been that moment when God's spirit was moving in you to, to share your faith? And again, I said, please raise your hand. And again, the same. 
I didn't even know what to say. I, honestly, I just sort of ended the service and said, well, we need to pray. <laughs> I mean, people, do you understand what I'm saying? We say we love God. We say we are Christians. We say we are Christ followers. We say we have the word that gives the hope of eternal life, and yet we are not willing to share it. Number one, you ought to be willing. Number two, you can expect to be moved, God's spirit to move you so that you will share this and you share it as love, not, oh, you better get right, you're going to die and go to hell. You know, that's not what we're talking about. It's going to happen. But the thing is, we're telling them out of love. I love you. God loves you. I love you. We want you to have eternal life with the true and living God. I want you to become a follower of Christ. We have to get shaken out of our apathy. We have to be moved to the point that it draws us to action and say, God, what do you want me to do? What is my role in expanding your kingdom on this earth? And that is the question I want us to ask ourselves today. If we, if God's love reigns in us, we will be on mission. Period. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your love for us and your guidance. We know your spirit is working. I believe sincerely today that there are those that are here not troubled by my words, but troubled by the moving of your spirit in their lives. They say they love you, but they don't study your word. They say they love you, but they don't worship you. They say they love you, but they don't share the message. They're not on mission. God, we pray today that your abundant love for us would stir in our hearts, fall on us, and give us a passion to take the gospel, the good news of salvation, to a lost and dying world. May your love reign in our hearts and in our mission that we can bring honor and glory to you. In that name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. And yes, we're going to have an invitation this morning. I'm inviting you in this whole moment of reflection say, wow. And again, if you only heard my voice, you probably got a little bored along the way. But if you heard God's voice, I will guarantee you something's moving in you. And you say, well, if I go up there, they're going to think, oh, I've been an apathetic Christian. I really don't love Jesus. I don't care. And you shouldn't care. Because if you're going to break the apathy within you, you have to get past that point. And you have to say, I am going to serve my God. No matter what. Period. I'm willing to be embarrassed. I'm willing to be insulted. I'm willing, I'm willing to die for him. You give your life for him? I'd give, my wife, I'd give my life today for my wife. You can slap me around, but you touch my wife, I will hurt you. I am willing to lay down my life for her because I love her passionately. But are we love, do we love God? Do we love lost souls? You're willing to lay down your life. Young people, do something worth living for, but also do something worth dying for. And that's the cause of Christ. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 10.30. 
We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like to answer, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.